We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of, this is actually the IB Nation Sports Talk Show. I'm not your normal host, I'm not Sean Styers. that's not Jesse Styers. that's not Vince D'Addario, <laughs> that is the one and only Sean Davis, who is a uh, part of the Irish Breakdown channel and also the co-host of the Lucky Lefty podcast, which you can find on YouTube, but also you can find at CFB Nation, so if you want to you have not subscribed to the CFB Nation podcast app, you need to do so because that's where you can find the Lucky Lefty Show every single day, plus the CFB All-Americans. All-America Show, Sean, th- we are filling in tonight, right? So we were going to go live this afternoon, but uh, somebody had some prior obligations. But now we are we are going to talk tonight about the Notre Dame offensive line search. That'll be our topic tonight. And then, of course, we'll have a rapid fire. I got some good questions for Sean tonight. Should be interesting to get his takes. Sean Styers helped me out, come up with those uh, rapid fires, and I added a couple on my own. But, Sean, obviously right now the big news, Notre Dame world, is Joe Rudolph and kind of what is going on with him. Obviously, Joe Rudolph is on campus today for the interview. We expect it to go well. All indications are it will go well. There's no, no potential red flags as long as everything checks off. He meets with Jack Swarbrick, Father Jenkins. He'll meet with the players, and as, as long as everybody signs off, he will be the next offensive line coach at Notre Dame. So we're going to dive into a little bit about Coach Rudolph and discuss his background, you know, things that he's done in his career. We'll talk about how his addition will impact the Notre Dame run game, how we think it will, how we would like it to maybe per se is a better way of looking at it. We'll talk about the things we like about this hire and the concerns we have about this hire and and dive into all that and then just kind of get an overall overall opinion of it before we get into the rapid fire. So, Sean, obviously, you know, Joe Rudolph is the pick. There was a good list of names on there, quality coaches. There's obviously going to be disagreements with amongst people of, you know, where people would rank one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. You know, but the thing I said last week is wherever I ranked Joe Rudolph and 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 people knew where I where I stood on that. The reality is, is if they hired one of the three guys that was on the board, him, uh, AJ Blazik or Brian Callahan, they were going to get a good offensive line coach. Yeah. The question is the d- degree. 
obviously Joe Rudolph is 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 a guy that they're going to go with here. And you know, Sean, I think the first thing I, I I thought was interesting is after the whole Andy Ludwig fiasco went down, I wrote an article before the next batch of moves were made, and I said with everything going on, Marcus Freeman needs to go with people he knows and he trusts. And his next three hires were Gino Gadouli, Jared Parker, and Joe Rudolph. Mm-hmm. All three guys that he has hired, that he knows, or that he will hire, that he knows, that he trusts, that he's had a long-standing relationship with each coach. And I think that he kind of took our advice to heart a little bit, not maybe directly like he was checking out, the, okay, well, this is what Brian and Sean said, but like our advice is kind of along the lines with clearly what he was thinking, which is, I'm going to sink or swim doing it my way. My way. Yep. And the only way I can do it my way is to get people that I know will buy into my way. And Joe Rudolph is someone who uh, uh, played for Barry Alvarez, coach got his coaching start under Jim Trestle, and, and then obviously he's been at Wisconsin and Pitt over, for over a decade. And now he is going – and when he was at Ohio State under Jim Trestle for his first three years of coaching – a linebacker on that team, a captain, I believe, on that team, this guy named Marcus Freeman. And so Coach Freeman has really dove headfirst into, I'm going to get people that I know and that I trust and that I think will be on line with my vision. And that's where I think this decision came from. And so my my overall point is no matter what you think of Joe Rudolph as a coach, I've got my opinion, you've got yours, other people have theirs. The reality is, is if you believe in Marcus Freeman, you have to understand where this coaching decision is coming from. And you have to say, okay, I don't necessarily like the guy or I don't know anything about the guy or I love the guy, whatever the case may be, but I trust Coach Freeman. And that's the first place to start with because he doubled down on what you and I talked about, Sean, which is get people that are going to have your back on your staff. And I believe Joe Rudolph fits that mold. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? 
Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When I initially heard the news that broke yesterday that he would be coming in for an interview and it was being reported that he would indeed possibly be the next head, next not next head, but the next offensive line coach at Notre Dame, my feelings were kind of mixed. I didn't know too much about him. I knew his time in the Big Ten when he's with Wisconsin, especially when Paul Chris was there. And I think really I was still dealing with a lot of the aftermath of the previous two weeks at that point. And it was just like, unless it was just a flat out home run hire, somebody that I thought was like absolutely amazing. I was going to have mixed views. So I took a step back. And then I remembered that Malik, when he was being recruited, was being recruited by Paul Chris. And he also was being recruited by now coach. And so I sat down and talked to him for about an hour about him. And the same go-ahead he gave me in the Andy Luckwig situation, he was over the top. He was like, yo, if this is the hire, this is a home run hire. And, and I was like, really? And he's like, yes. He was like, not only did I love them when I was coming out of high school, but I loved him when I was thinking about transferring. And I went to visit Wisconsin when I was thinking about transferring, and I probably should have chosen Wisconsin. Sean, you know my stance on that. Absolutely. <laughs> he said, because that's the coaching staff that I love. He said, but I just didn't want to play in the cold anymore. And ultimately, that's what led me to go down to Florida. But he raves. He raves about this guy being the next possible offensive line coach. And he talked about how similar he is to Harry Heastan but how different he is. He was like, you have to understand, Coach Rudolph is going to come in. He's going to give you energy. He's going to push guys, but he's not going to operate along the same lines as Harry. Like, you'll get a little bit of Harry. You'll know he's at practice. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to hear him, but it won't come with the same. Um, it'll be a little bit more sugar right. served, in the words, than it was with Harry where players knew that Harry loved them mm -hmm. and were able to take what right. he said. He said with, with Coach Rudolph, no, it won't be that. Like right. everybody is – he's all about family, bringing everyone together. And for me, I think one of the great benefits, and I wonder what you and the rest of IB Nation think about this, just his experience, short term as a head coach, also experience as an offensive coordinator, and experience as an offensive line coach. So this is very beneficial for Jerry Parker to have Gino Gadouli and, you know, offensive staff that have this experience to be able to talk about things, to be able to talk about diversity in the run game and to be able to do things. I think one of the things that I was able to point out uh, earlier on today's podcast is that if you go and look at Wisconsin's running game, Wisconsin didn't recruit the same type of running back. They would go get a run, Dane, but then they would go get a Monty Ball. 
Hank did. <laughs> and right. Mel- Melvin Gordon was way different than than Braylon Allen Absolutely. or, or uh, Braylon Allen or Melvin Gordon. Like they got different type. Terrell uh, uh, Fletcher was like the first. He was like right before everybody. He's a he was a different back. And uh, Moss, it was Fletcher and Moss. They were the first two guys, and that was before his time. But I'm just talking about the way they did things at Wisconsin. It was different running backs, so you saw diversity in their run game, and specifically him when they were there. Of course, they did duo, but you saw them pull. They love to pull their guards. They love to pull their center. They had some for a nice run there. They had some very athletic centers that ended up in the NFL. So when you look at that. They have diversity in the run game to where as they go to something in the first half and then they get you into deep water in the third quarter and all of a sudden here they come with something else. And it's like, so for me, that's one of the things that stood out for me, of course, being a Big Ten guy, constantly watching Big Ten football, the battles against Wisconsin. That's something that really just irritated me. How is it that teams know week in and week out that Wisconsin is going to do the same thing and they're still successful in the run game. Kind of sounds similar to what we went through as a Notre Dame fan base this past year. That's one of the toughest things to do because he's done it as an offensive line without having a top-notch quarterback. Like, I think the most celebrated quarterback in Wisconsin history is Jim Sorge, maybe, honestly. For what he was able to do in those uh, Rose Bowls. So we'll dive into a little bit about that run game stuff because that's 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 where my what I like and what I don't like comes from mm-hmm. is that, and we'll dive into that a little bit. I think the one thing you hit on, Sean, that has been universal for me in talking to people is. You're like, look, Malik never played for him. So Malik has no idea what kind of coach he is on a day-to-day basis. Right? Day-to-day basis he, he only right. can, you know, what he, I'm sure he talked to other Wisconsin players and they, they raved about him in our, well, he said he still talks to him to right. this day. Right. He's, he's, he kept in touch with him. Right. What I'm saying yeah. is like other players during the recruiting process probably told him what type of coach he is, but Malik Absolutely. doesn't have any firsthand experience. Absolutely. The point being, this isn't to take away from Malik's point. The point being is it fits right in line with what I have been saying, what I have heard, not what I've been saying, but what I have heard from everyone in, in mm-hmm. is and I'll, I haven't reached out to anyone that signed with Wisconsin because my whole point is I want to know what the people that didn't sign with Wisconsin think about him as a recruiter because obviously the people that went to Wisconsin thought highly of him because they went to Wisconsin right yeah and you know talk to some some people today and they're and it's nothing but raving about him as a recruiter and and the job he does he works he builds relationships like you said and the fact that him and Malik still have a relationship I think says a lot because you know Malik could have helped them a ton, in my opinion. Had he gone there, there was no there was no ill will. <clears throat> you know, I talked to uh, somebody today, and let me see if I can find the quote. Uh, let's see here. Well, I will say this: Malik did when he visited. It was doing bowl prep, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Right. So he did see a couple of practices. My but point is, like it's one said, thing to see a couple of practices, another thing yeah. that you're the one getting yelled at or, or yeah. whatever. The, oh, the point wasn't to distract from Leak's experience. It was to it was to add to the fact that the recruiting part was there, even mm-hmm. someone who chose another school. This is a comment I got today from someone who did not pick Wisconsin. Uh, great person and mentor to young men, was always open, honest, and forthright in his approach and how he yeah. saw the young men fitting into the system. 
and then went on to ask this person like, you know, well, why didn't you pick Wisconsin? And, and basically it came down to, I can promise you it had nothing to do with coach Rudolph. And, and so that was the only reason that that's that Wisconsin was even in it, you know, for that. So that is the one thing I think we can all agree on is this is going to be a strong recruiting hire for Notre mm-hmm. Dame. The coaching part, we'll find out. But I think the recruiting part, we can answer that one right away. It's going to be a strong recruiting hire. Do you no feel way. like that's transferable? Because I think he's going oh, to be yeah. he's going to be in a, that position, a different John. pond. He's going to be in a different pond now. Yeah, especially at that position. Mm-hmm. It'd be a little different with like a defensive backs coach. Yeah. Right? Like you and I have talked about this. O-linemen are a different breed. Yeah. You know, you look at Notre Dame's board. There's a couple guys that Notre Dame has offered that 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 Virginia Tech offered, for example. Like I know Virginia Tech offered Caleb Brewer. Right. So there's going to be something there with Caleb Brewer, which is very important. You know, th- those are going to be important ones. But you know, look, number one, Notre Dame sells itself to a lot of degrees at, right. on the offensive line. But if you got someone that's willing to put into work, and and the type of coach that we hear he is, and how he relates to people, again. This doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the job he's going to do as a coach, but as far as how it relates to young people, story after story after story. You know, I, I talked to someone who who played at Wisconsin, uh, great coach is what we say. Uh, Notre Dame got a good one, huge pickup for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, Harry was really good, uh, too tough to replace him, but I think you got his replacement. Uh, Great pickup for Notre Dame. I mean, those are things that I'm hearing from people that I know and trust in the, in this profession, right? And mm-hmm. that makes you feel good because, look, I'm not going to just up and change my opinion just because people I know and respect feel differently. Mm-hmm. I have to go off what I see. But it definitely gives me a sense of comfort when when people I know and respect feel a certain way. And so I think that's part of it, too. Let's get into a little bit of the background, Sean, and, mm-hmm. and look a little bit about Joe Rudolph. Uh, number one, he is 50 years old. He'll be 51 by the time the season starts. So decade younger than Coach E Stan. So it's you know older veteran coach, but not a guy that you're like, okay, we knew that Coach E Stan wasn't going to be at Notre Dame for very long. I mean, yeah. you and I didn't have any illusions that Harry He Stan was going to be coaching Charles Jagasaw's fifth year senior. <laughs> right. Not an insult to Coach E Stan, but we just understood why he was what he was what he was trying to accomplish when he came back. Yeah. And so, you know, this is obviously a coach in a little bit of a different situation, veteran, but not an old coach. Right. I mean, 50 is not that old in today's, you know, standard for offensive line coach, in my opinion. So Bell Vernon, Pennsylvania native, which is near Pittsburgh. So he's a Western PA guy. Played at Wisconsin from 1991 to 94. He was an offensive lineman at Wisconsin. I believe he was a center. Yeah. Yeah, And he was a captain as a senior in 1994. And he played for Barry Alvarez. And that was very early in Barry's tenure. So. You know, he he was part of that that deal where uh, you know where Coach Alvarez took over. I mean, you you talk to people from back then, Sean, and they'll say Wisconsin was an absolute joke in the Big Ten back when Barry took over. Went yeah, one and ten in his win. first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Coach Alvarez's first year, mm-hmm. and then by uh, Coach uh, Rudolph's third year is the year they went ten one and one and went to the Rose Bowl yeah. and won the Rose Bowl. And so you know you're talking about. Uh, a, a guy that you know, Joe Rudolph was was part of that build uh, with them. I believe Ron Dane was the running back on that team that mm-hmm. went to the Rose Bowl and won. And then his last year, uh, they went eight three and one, and uh, you know he he finished his career as a bowl game. And as I said, he uh, he played in the NFL for parts of two seasons with the Eagles and I believe the 49ers, and then didn't get into coaching right away after that. Sean, he didn't actually really get into coaching until two thousand two. And so he was at Ohio State from no, I'm uh, excuse me, 2004. He got into coaching in 2004, 
Mm-hmm. And that was as a graduate assistant at Ohio State. Spent three years there under Jim Tressel, obviously a, a coach that you're gonna you're gonna learn something from. Moved on to Nebraska. His first full time coaching job was as tight ends coach at Nebraska. Spent the next four years as the tight ends coach at Wisconsin from 08 to 11. And then when Paul Chris left Wisconsin to become the head coach at Pittsburgh, he brought Joe Rudolph with him. He became the offensive coordinator, assistant head coach, and tight ends coach at Pittsburgh from 2012 to 2014. And then in 2015, Chris went back to Wisconsin. Joe Rudolph came with him and served as his uh, – that was actually the first time he was an offensive line coach was that 2015 season. And then he served as the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach from 2015 to 2021 and then spent this past season as the run game coordinator and offensive line coach at Virginia Tech. So that's a little bit of his coaching background, Ryan, of uh, Sean. When you, when you look at that coaching background, obviously one thing that stands out is – Midwestern coach, guy that's recruited the Northeast a ton. I had no problem with bringing Matt Luke in. I think Matt Luke's a very good football coach, and I think Matt Luke would have been able to adjust just fine to recruiting at Notre Dame if had he been the hire. But with 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 Joe Rudolph, you know you have a guy that has and and has experienced recruiting New Jersey, Pennsylvania, the Northeast, Chicago, Indiana, Ohio, mm-hmm. Minnesota, Wisconsin all the reasons where Notre Dame is going to get a lot of their sud linemen. And so to me, that's obviously something that you look at and say, that's a, that's going to fit in right there as well. There's not going to be any kind of recruiting adjustment. He's going to know the high school coaches. He's just going to walk in with a little emblem on his shirt. That's going to have a little bit more pull than the one that he had <laughs> his last couple jobs. Well, I don't even think they went after the quality of kids that Notre Dame went after. I mean, it's, they, the it's like Billy Shrouf, yeah. you know, yeah. Joe Bruner, no. Carson Hensman. Right. Really, it, or guys that had connections. So, like, they went after Nolan Rucci when he was in Pennsylvania, but his brother played at Wisconsin. At Wisconsin, right. He wasn't a big-time recruit, but that was a big win for them. That was probably the mm-hmm. thing. They got Logan Brown out of Illinois, but he didn't – He didn't. it wasn't often that they went after those those and or got really had much of a shot with those kind of guys. Yeah. I have spoken to at least three coaches high school on today and they are ecstatic they are ecstatic about the hire because of the relationship that he had with the illinois coaches here and you just talk about the region he's familiar with wisconsin illinois iowa ohio michigan these are the areas that he's heavily recruited being from pennsylvania he's going to get into pennsylvania maryland new jersey areas where you get a caleb brewer or you get a gerby lambert He's very comfortable going into those areas because he probably has pre-existing relationships. So from a recruiting standpoint, like you said, that was my only thing. And I'm glad you cleared that up because I was like, yo, he's been recruiting a certain type of kid at Wisconsin. This is the comfort zone. We know where we can go and be successful. Be, I don't want to say type. A kid like Christopher Terry is a very comfortable area for Wisconsin from an offensive line recruiting standpoint. Illinois kid, familiar, suburban kid, very similar to Madison, Wisconsin. So that won't be a problem with him transitioning or a player like that transitioning. And it's really a player that was a late bloomer that bigger schools got in on later. So they form early relationships with those type of kids and they're able to get those kids to come in and commit and hold on to them. So now you're going at the kids that the big dogs want. And I'm very interested. Like you said, he's going to walk in with a totally different polo on. This polo right here raises some eyebrows. 
when it walks through the door. So for him, that's something he's never had. So to see how he adjusted that, and I'm very interested in seeing, we can get into it. I'm interested in whether or not there was dialogue with him concerning a certain transfer, grad transfer offensive lineman that might have visited this weekend. I'm, I'm not saying it was yeah. he involved in the conversation, but I would be interested, you know, when they he finally meets with the media or when Marcus introduces him, was he part of that process? I don't believe so. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a conversation about it, but I don't mm-hmm. think he had a, as big of a saying. I think that was more of a, a little bit of a miscommunication and the kid jumping the gun a bit mm. than it was anything else. Mm. And and so uh, I, I think Notre Dame's hope was to try to get to know the kid a little bit better, and then the kid went and, and kind of ran with it a little bit more. Because as, as I've said plenty of times in the show, Sean, Notre Dame is interested in a guard if it's a guy that's definitely better than what they have. have. It has to be that kind of guy. They're not going to bring in a guy that's just kind of a nice, solid veteran. They're like, no, we're going to run. We'll roll with the young kids at that point in time. We'll go with Carmody or Chan or, or Christophic or somebody like that. It's Shrouth and those kind of guys. We've been through this in 2020. You much rather would have seen one of the young kids go in there and, and yo, go learn how to play rather than Kane Madden. Right. Coming over and struggling in a way he struggled. No, go build to your future. Right. Let that young man get better. Absolutely. So I'm right there with you. I was just wondering that when things started to come out, I'm like, okay, like, did he have any input in that particular situation? It wouldn't shock me if there was a conversation about it, maybe watch a little bit of film. Yeah. And see if he's fired up about it. But, you know, one thing we've learned about Chad Bowden and and that group is if they like a guy, they're going to go get, they're going to go after that guy. Yeah. Right. And so I think it was several things, but it wouldn't shock me if like there was some film that was watched, but you know, I think the thing is, like you said, just coach up the kids that you have, and, and and we can address that a little bit a little bit later as well as we get into it. I think the interesting thing, Sean, is looking at the statistics, and you mentioned this a little bit. And again, these are just numbers that they don't always tell the entire story. Mm-hmm. But part of the, I did an article earlier today, and and I and I talked about the numbers that we've seen from them, and and you look at at Pitt inherited a group that averaged like 120 some yards rushing per game. Went 133 and 126 his first two years and then jumps up in year three to 249 and a half, 5.3 yards per carry. That was the year that James Conner had just a monster season for them. Uh, you look at – then he comes to Wisconsin. He steps in the year after Melvin Gordon leaves. Corey Clement gets hurt early in that season. They struggled running the football in his first season. Only had 150.3 yards per game, 3.8 per carry, 27 touchdowns. The next year they jumped up a little bit. They were at 203. Point one yards per game, uh, 4.3 per carry. It kept going up the next couple of years. Helped having a guy named Jonathan Taylor during that stretch. Uh, 222.9 in 2017, five yards a carry. 2018, they really took off. 273.4 per game, 6.2 per carry. And then uh, 2019, they went for 233.1 per carry, five, or 233.1. Yeah, to be a pretty quite the yards per carry average, uh, 233.1 per game and 5.3 per carry. And then Jonathan Taylor was 23 yards away as a true freshman from being a back to back to back 2,000 yard rusher. And as you said, they they uh, I think the 2019 season, if you look at part of the reason their run game took a little bit of a dip, in my opinion. It's because that was without question the, the best quarterback that he had uh-huh. during his tenure there. That was the year they went and played Ohio State in the the Big Ten championship game, and and uh, you know Jack Cohn obviously 
had a, a lot more success throwing the football than they had had in, in, in years around them. So uh, if, if you look at 2018, for example, the year that Jonathan Taylor had all those yards, they were 270-something per game. They only passed for 157.7 yards per game that season. and had a 19-14 to 14 touchdown interception ratio. And so that's why that team, in my opinion, really wasn't that good. They went eight and five. The next year, with Jonathan Taylor being a monster, the next year they have a big jump in yards, uh, points per game. And even though their rushing numbers went down, they were still good at 233.7 or 233.1. And then Jonathan Taylor had another 1,000-yard season, 6.3 per carry. But that team was better because Jack Cohn threw for 200 yards a game that year, or that the offense threw for 200 yards a game that year. And Jack Cohn had yeah. an 18 to 5 touchdown interception ratio. And, of course, they played uh, for the Big Ten Championship and uh, battled Ohio State. They actually got blown out by Ohio State in the regular season and then battled them really, really tough in the Big Ten Championship game. The next season was COVID year. You know, the Big Ten was a mess that year. I I, I literally don't hold anything against any Big Ten team from that season. I mean, you remember how bad Michigan was that year? And they've literally yeah. been a playoff team every year since, yeah. you know. Um, and, and so the COVID year for the Big Ten, because remember, all those kids thought they weren't playing because that was one of the conferences who said, we're not going to play this year. Came out, bounced back the next year, 210.9 yards per game, 4.8 per, per carry. It was his last year at Wisconsin. Then this past year at Virginia Tech, they averaged only 110.8 yards per game, 3.1 per carry. That was a bad Virginia Tech offense. So those are those are the statistical look at, at what, at what uh, Joe Rudolph has done. Now, here, here's an interesting thing, Sean, is he was the offensive coordinator during that period of time. Now, I believe Paul Christ had a big role in the play calling. Absolutely. But he was the offensive coordinator, which kind of spread him a little bit thinner. And I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, somebody I know in the coaching world, and, and we were having this conversation and, and we were sharing the same feeling of, I do not like offensive line coaches being offensive coordinators. You can get, it, it can work and, and it's happened before, but it's a rare thing. I just don't like it because it's hard to coach five starters and 15 to 18 scholarship kids and coordinate an offense, even if you're not calling plays. As I've said before, Sean, calling plays is at the bottom of the priority list for things you got to be good at in order to be a good offensive coordinator. It's all that other duties. And I and I, and I I wonder what kind of offensive line coach he's going to be because, again, this will help maybe answer some of my concerns because here's the thing when I look at some of those teams, Sean, the numbers were great. But one of the issues was is they didn't always run the ball very well against the better teams in the schedule. You know, I mean, here's like here's here's an example. They had the one year where they just rolled Michigan. I think it was like 2019. Rolled Michigan. Yeah. A bad Michigan team. Wisconsin under Rudolph's tenure lost to Michigan every time Michigan had a 10 or better win season. They beat some bad, you know, some mediocre Michigan teams. But when Michigan mm-hmm. was good, they shut Wisconsin down. Yeah. You know, they, they rushed for 200 yards in the Big Ten title game, but Ohio State sh- completely shut them down in other games. You know, Penn State, they, they struggled against Penn State. I think against Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, they were like one in something, two in yeah. something. The only wins were against those bad Michigan teams, <clears throat> and they often struggled to run the ball in those games. So it wasn't like Notre Dame-Clemson where you know it was coming and it didn't matter. Now, we're going to kind of get into some reasons for that, but one thing I'm curious about is – I often, you know, because look, you come to an opinion, you share the opinion publicly, you you want to own it, right? Mm-hmm. But you also to be someone who is willing to say, okay, but let me have my opinion be challenged. And so there's been a couple people that I respect who have said, I think you need to give it another shot and look at it this way, look at it that way. And one of the things that was said to me by somebody I respect is, 
you know, being an offensive coordinator is a whole different animal. And he's not going to be doing that at Notre Dame. He's just right. going to be a line coach. And that's where all his time is going to be spent. And the impact that that's going to have on this football team and on him as a coach. And that's something that's really been sitting in my head for the last couple of days as I've thinking about this is this is the first time he's just going to be a line coach. Now he may get like run game coordinator put onto it, but as I said in last night's show, Sean, if you're the run game coordinator as the offensive line coach, your mm-hmm. job is protected zero ways. Yeah. I mean, it's You're already kind of that by default. It's like I've said, you know, if you're a quarterback, you don't need a C on your chest because it doesn't matter if you have a C on your chest. You'd have three guys in the huddle with C's on their chest. When the quarterback's talking, nobody else is talking, right? You, and, and so you're going to have that role anyway. So my question is going to be that, Sean. That's something that really pops in my head is, you know, he's not going to be the one designing game plans for Ohio State and Penn State and Notre Dame the way that he did at Wisconsin. It's going to be somebody else. And his job is to say, here's my thoughts on it. Here's my role in it. Let me go coach this offensive line. And you wonder, is that going to allow him to produce even better offensive lines? And the other part, too, is, Sean, I was breaking down some 19 film last night. And I'm hoping to have this breakdown video done tonight it'll be done sometime tonight or tomorrow it's going to be for premium message board uh, people only i'm going to break down the just the top run concepts that they ran there that and how they could translate possibly to notre dame and i'm watching them play I'm like these kids move their feet well uh they they do a good job of using their hands they drive but they're very unathletic I mean, even the 19 offensive line, which is pretty good. And I, I got to say, it did remind me of how much I enjoyed breaking down Jack Cohn's film when I yeah. heard he was about coming to Notre Dame. Remember, because I wasn't high on Jack Cohn mm-hmm. when I heard he was coming to Notre Dame. I was like, come on. I, you know, because I've watched the games in the background. He never blew me away. And then you dive into the film and you're like, yo, this kid's pretty good. Yeah. He gets to Notre Dame. He's going to be a pretty good player. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's something you look at too. And, and, um, and, and and you watch it like boy these kids are just not good. These kids <laughs> are in the same universe as Blake Fisher and Joe Wall that, and and guys like that. And it starts making you think like he's going to have a whole different set. And with all due respect to any all their running backs not named Jonathan Taylor, he's going to have some dudes at Notre Dame. Like they may have like one really good back. He's going to have like yeah. five, six yeah. really good backs. Yeah. So he's you look not at a that coach stuff. that squeezes the two from the middle of the two. Right, you know how people have preferences where they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle, from the bottom. He squeezes it from the bottom and then cuts it open and goes in there and throws some water in there and gets what's left in there. When it comes to the talent he had at Wisconsin, he got the very best. And let me throw a caveat in there as well. It wasn't like Paul Chris and Coach Rudolph came in and just perfectly transitioned after Brett Bielema left. Anderson. Man, he destroyed that program in a lot of different ways. Just totally alienated all of the high school coaches in the state of Wisconsin. Tried to change everything about what Wisconsin football was in a two-year span. So when they returned, it was a mini rebuild that they had to do to reinstall. Because that was under, uh, was it Gary Anderson? Gary Anderson, yeah. So they had to rebuild and reestablish a lot of things the first year to two years. And then I felt like, okay, they got things going, but what were they building to? They were building to what was a team historically that gets the most out of the talent on their roster on both sides of the ball, especially, I mean, every now and then they would have a Joe Thomas or they Mm -hmm. would have a Ramchick come through. 
on the offensive line. That's a first rounder and just a stud. But like you said, they don't have they don't have Joe Alts and Blake Fisher's just laying around right. in their locker room. So right. you know what the individual you spoke to, what he said about being spread thin, being the offensive coordinator, yeah, it probably was too much. Yeah. But it was probably early on, it was probably needed yes. from a trust standpoint yeah. because of what they were taking over from Gary Anderson. It was probably Paul Chris saying, yo, I need you to take care of both of these. Do me a solid. And then as we move forward, maybe we can do some other things. Or even if you want to move on to another position, that's fine as well. But it was what was needed coming back. And what they came back from Pittsburgh in what, 16? If I'm not mistaken. 15. 15? Yeah. They were in they from 12 to 14. Right. So it would have been the year at basically they they replaced Andy Ludwig's offense. Mm-hmm. And then they do it without Melvin Gordon and out those kind of guys. So right. you know, Sean, it's it's we have a we have a guy in our chat who's an LSU fan, Frank Frank McCatry. And and I think his comment right here kind of nails what we're talking about, right? Is Rudolph has access to premium material now. That's what you're saying. And that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah. You know, like he has access yeah. to premier tier. So I got, I got to interrupt because I just, I've been, while you were talking, I was texting with a, a good source of mine about this. And uh, what I was just told is, so as we said that there were some hurdles that, that coach Rudolph needed to kind of clear in order to tip for this to be definitely, it's a good deal. And it's meet with coach, with Jack Swarbrick meeting with father Jenkins. And then tonight he had to sit down with the players. As you know, there was a guy that interviewed for the OC job that it did not go well with the players and there was people reporting it was a done deal. He was going to be the OC, and it was going to go that direction. That's not an insult to anybody. I mean, there was a lot of strong vibes that was going to go that direction. But the meeting with the players really just put a really big halt on things. So so this is why I said – and some people got fired up yesterday like I was being insulting. I wasn't being insulted in reporting it was a done deal. I'm just like I know what still has to be done and know how that can derail this type of thing. Yeah, And so it was important for me to say to people like, look, this has to happen first before this can officially be done. I don't care what Brent Pry is saying and what Joe Rudolph is saying. He has to go through this because I know Notre Dame. I just got a text from a source and we were kind of chatting back and forth through text message. And the player meeting was the last thing that he had to do today. Mm-hmm. That just wrapped up. And what I was told is the players came out of it raving about Joe Rudolph. Can I can I jump um, in right here? Yeah. When you reported that, we mentioned it on Lucky Lefty. Malik said that would not be a problem. And, and that's what I've that's been told Just to, from yes. knowing him. He said, oh, right. that, he'll pass that with right. flying colors. Uh, and they said the big thing is the players have basically said, according to my source, the players told my source that they said that they felt like there was a lot of stuff he was going to do that was very similar to the foundation that Coach Heastan talked about when he came. Mm-hmm. As far as like, what's what are the priorities? What are the MITs? What are the most important tasks, right? You know, what are the things we're going to believe in in this room? What are the things that we're going to emphasize every day in practice? What are the things that I'm going to emphasize to you and how you live your life and how you do those kind of things? And all that stuff was touched on during this meeting and the players came away super impressed. And so that came at the end. So I already got the, the okay from, from Jack Swarbrick, I'm told. Obviously, Father Jenkins wasn't really given an okay. It was just more of a meet and greet ham. Hey, you know, hey, how are you? Right. But it's more Jack. And the player was the last thing. So now that that hurdle's been cleared, now it's just a matter of dotting all the I's and all the T's and getting it done. So now that that hurdle has been cleared, it, it is uh, you feel very, very good about the fact that this is going to be done. And that's very odd. That's one of the things that Malik did point out. Like, that's odd. Like, how do you 
as a candidate fail the meeting with the players? Well, it's just more so, you know, you've been in a room, Sean, before where, you know, you, you may like what the guy's saying, but he just doesn't just doesn't blow you away, doesn't command you, yeah. doesn't say, hey, this is a guy that I want to run through a wall through, or, you know, this guy's this guy's personality just doesn't click with mine. Hey, I like it, respect you, it's all good. It wasn't like, it wasn't so much like a fail. It was just more so like we did not vibe at all. And it wasn't like there was gotcha. arguing or fighting. It was just like this, what this dude believes in is just not, it just didn't sit well with me, right? I mean, Sean. Well, you know, well I think both- what I meant by that is like an opportunity like that, I am going to be, man, you want to talk about bubbly, mm-hmm. like <laughs> bubbly excitement, like energy won't be the problem right? if I'm walking into a room with a group of young men. Right. Energy won't be the problem. Now, right. the other things you talked about as far as chemistry, I, well, I get that. Well, Sean, look, you know, you and I are both people of faith, and we've both have experience preaching in our lives, right? And, mm-hmm. and and being in those rooms, you can have a guy that's got a ton of energy as a preacher, and he connects to you. And yeah. you have another guy who has a ton of energy as a preacher, and for whatever reason, he doesn't connect. Doesn't with connect. Yeah. It was that. It wasn't a negative, like he got in there, he didn't know what cover two was. Yeah. Oh, he got in there and he was MF and the players in the meeting. It wasn't anything like that. Oh, no. It was just, it just, it was that at all. Yeah. Uh, but with Coach Rudolph, apparently went extremely well. And honestly, yeah. offensive linemen are hard to, are hard to please, especially when they're replacing someone like, somebody like, uh, Harry Heastan. So the standard was very high Absolutely. for that. Very Absolutely. high for that. So, uh, I expect all hurdles to be cleared. And I think this is now going to be basically a done deal now. So I am comfortable saying that now that that is cleared. So uh, that's good news. And and like I said, that was the final the final hurdle for Coach Rudolph to clear be- so he could say, okay, now it's done deal. Now it's ready to go. Well, you look so at I- his you look at his bloodline and you went through his background. Yo, he's been under, you know, tough-minded coaches that are very relatable. Mm-hmm. You look at the coaches he's been under. Paul Chris, Malik raves about his relatability and how his players love him. Um, you talk about Jim Tressel. <laughs> relatable, tough-minded, probably still would have been the coach at Ohio State if off-the-field stuff didn't take him away from that position. I mean, he's in that mold, and if though that's the tree that he comes from under, I, I don't, I wouldn't expect him to be too far from what the head coach of Notre Dame is with those intangibles, his expectations yeah. for <laughs> family, life, and all of that. I expect it to be right in line. I, yeah. I really do. You know, of course, with him being his authentic self, I'm not saying they're the same, but I, well, I fully you know, you talk they about, have things in common. You talk about Marcus Freeman, and, and he pers- he per- he shows this very calm demeanor and, oh. and on the sidelines. And you and I know we've heard plenty of stories about practice. He's intense at yes. practice, right? And and not in a bad way, just intense. And and that's kind of what we've heard about what I've heard anyway about about Joe Rudolph is he's not out there singing kumbaya with the players. No. that's not when you hear players coach, that's not what it means. At least because that's not a good, that's not a players coach. That's a guy who wants to be your friend. And I don't need a coach that wants to be my friend. I need a coach that wants to be my leader. Yeah. That's, that's what I need. I want him to be my teacher, you know, and, and my mentor kind of thing. And so uh, I think offensive line and quarterback are probably the two hardest positions to please, to be honest with you. In in my opinion, when it comes to that initial connection, there's going to be a a net almost like there's a natural little bit of a distrust initially, like you've got to win me over more. And I think of all positions, I think those two are probably the the 
like, you know, how often have you heard of a left tackle that just wanted to get the quarterbacks, the offensive coordinator fired and had that kind of sway, right? No, you hear that about quarterbacks, right? Right. right. Uh, but you will hear things about how the star offensive lineman didn't mesh with the, the position coach and that guy's gone because you're not getting star offensive lineman. So I think to me, you know, getting that feedback from, uh, from the, and it was the same person who told me like, look, we expect this to happen, but it's not a done deal yet. He's got to, he's got to come here tomorrow and, check yeah. all the boxes with Jack and the players and all these other kind of things. So uh, getting that initial feedback about how well things went, I think is important because here's the deal. Put your feelings of what you think of him as a coach aside, whoever you are. Here's the thing you have to remember. He's He has to get immediate buy-in for this thing to work. That's why this meeting is important. It's not just about, okay, are you guys going to get along can you tolerate him as the coach? Can you give us the the thumbs up on, yeah, sure, whatever, coach, hire him. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about only. It's part of it. Yeah. But it's also about, okay, Sean, we're less than a month away from spring ball starting. We're yeah. less than two months away from the blue gold game. Okay, so this is a deal where are you going to have immediate buy-in when you get to the gym on Monday and you're going through the 6 a.m. workout and Joe Rudolph is there with the rest of the coaches? I mean, I don't know if he'll be there this Monday. I don't know how the hiring process works and what they – but you get the point that I'm making, right? Yeah. So as soon as he gets there, is, it gonna, is there going to be buy-in? Wh- whatever I think of him as a coach or you think of him a coach or anybody else thinks I'm a good coach or you know, good or bad, the reality is uh, you have to look at it and say, do they buy-in? And – Joe Walt doesn't need to know my opinion of Joe Rudolph. He's got to be bought in. Blake Fisher doesn't care about my opinion of Joe Rudolph, nor should he. He's got to be bought in. And so this is why it may seem silly to others, but having gone through the coaching hiring process as a player when we were hiring a new head coach and having been in that on the other end of that as a, as a coach, yeah. I have been hired at places. I'll be honest with you. When I got hired at Duquesne, some of the veterans who played a lot did not buy into me early on. The one kid, the, the well, the two kids, but the one starter that bought in immediately was the kid who only had like 10 career catches because he didn't know any better. And you know what he did that year? He was an All-American. He had 50, 50 catches, 1,100 yards, and 14 touchdowns in 11 games, right? Now, the other kids eventually came along and had really good seasons, but the kid that bought in is the kid that immediately clicked with me and went from being a guy that had like 10 to 12 career catches he had more touchdowns as a junior with me than he had career catches coming into that, right? Because yeah, yeah. he bought in, right? And so that's an important thing is whatever we think, if the players are bought in, if Joe, if Blake, if Zeke, if Kristoffic, if, if Billy Shrouth, if Ty Chan, if Rocco Spindler, Tosh Baker, if those guys aren't bought in, he could be the greatest coach in the world. It's not going to work. And that's why this meeting was so important and why I wanted to be like, let's pump the brakes a little bit on. And I didn't mean any disrespect by this, even though everybody wants to take everything you say as disrespect now. <laughs> it was just more of like, hey, I know what's going on left in this process. We've yeah. been here before. Yeah, We had people reporting that Colin Klein was a done deal. And what derailed that? It wasn't that he just didn't want to leave Manhattan. They were both parting ways at the end, knowing it wasn't a fit because of how that part went. Yeah. Right. And so this was an important deal. And and I don't want to undersell this, Sean. This is huge. If the if the feedback that I'm getting is legit and you know who my source is on this, Sean, it's mm-hmm. legit. Yeah. That's huge because this is a tough crowd. They just lost the goat, right? Of modern mm-hmm. coaching. That they're they're not happy about that. 
they need to be bought into this. Yeah. And if they're coming out raving about it the way that I'm being told they're coming out raving about it and they're bought in the way that I'm told that they're going to be bought in, this is important because this, this line is going to make or break this being a championship caliber offense or not. Absolutely. Sam Hartman's great and Buckner and Styles and Colsey and Merriweather and the running backs, all that's great, but this line needs to be legit. And they're going to have to be bought in. And at least on day one, first interaction, first time meeting him, listening to him, talking to him, for them to come out and, and praise him the way that it went, Sean, that's a very important part of this. And we look, we can dig deeper into that. We can stay right there and dig deeper because you have to understand the magnitude of what you just said. Because we're talking about Blake Fisher, who we wondered how he would mesh with Harry Heastand. Right, you're talking about a kid that finally rendered himself fully to Harry Heastan, fully bought in, and he just got to that point with Coach Heastan, and then Coach Heastan leaves. So for him, who knows what's going on with him and how he's viewing this? Right, Look how who this guy is in front of him, what he's looking for, because truthfully. You just talked about it. Notre Dame does need this hire to grab the room has quickly. To be. Because these two tackles, we only have them for another few months. Maybe, yeah. Year, maybe. More than likely. If everything goes well. well. And, Sean, you talk about how important it was for Blake Fisher. But, like, if you're Joel, like, dude, I was going to expect to be a, a top, top 10 NFL, top draft, 10 pick. NFL draft pick. And, and I'm getting coached by a guy that, like, you know, does this, like, in his sleep, produces mm-hmm. in top 10 NFL draft picks, right? Like, you know, what, what am I going to do, right? So he's got to be bought in. And, and here's the deal, Sean. If the leaders are bought in, everybody falls in line. That's the key, right? Like, that's the yeah. thing is, if you're a new coach, the first thing you do is give me the three big names in the team. <laughs> I got to win them over. Absolutely. If I win them over, if I win them over, the leaders over, if I win them over, everybody falls in line. And so if the offensive line is bought in to the direction this offense is going, and it starts with their line coach, then everybody else falls in line. And it, it's and bigger important. than that. It's bigger than that, Brian, because Harry Heastan wasn't just beloved by the offensive lineman. I saw it up close and personal. He had intimate re- relationships with the running backs. I saw Logan and Aldrich run over to him after run plays, and Harry would say, yeah. yo, this is what you saw. And, or this and is Sean, what it you takes a special for. time for a line coach to do that. Right. Absolutely. Like Alex Absolutely. Gibbs could go up to Terrell Davis and say that. Some other Joe Schmo offensive line coach and like, dude, couldn't do that. Do, right? do you know who I am? Right. And Bobby Turner, the running back, was like, hey man, why don't you go coach your position? You you need to be a dude to be able to go into Dylan McCullough's group during a game to be like, hey man, you know, see, I need you to do this. That happened. It was also the respect. But Dylan it was also after the play, the running backs walking towards Harry, like, yo, what did I did I see that right? Is that what I was supposed to read? And to trust him. Right. You know, to give you something that you know is going to be valuable. That's, you know, as much as we want to get Dylan McCullough credit, you know, he played a part with the running backs as well and their maturity and their increased production. So, you know, Harry Heastan is going to be missed, but it's good to hear that this first meeting went the way that Here's the thing, though, Sean. If Dylan McCullough comes in there with all his attitude and ego of I'm one of the best running back coaches in the business, who are you mm-hmm. talking to my guys? Right. And it doesn't work. Right. 
D- Coach McCullough had respect for Coach Eastan. Mm-hmm. And that's why he allowed Coach Eastan to speak into his group. Right. I mean, that's part of it, too. And so we've now heard two different scenarios, one being a big reason why Notre Dame decided because here's the deal. They they did a lot of different Zoom videos with coaches. I was originally told that the plan was to bring in a couple to three guys. They settled on Rudolph as being the only guy they're going to bring in for now after Luke. Right. So when I mean a couple to three, that was after Luke. Right. So after Matt Luke, they're going to bring in a couple to three guys. The reason that changed to just one is because when they all met with the coaches, and I was told that all three of the offensive line coaches that we that we knew of and a couple others like really impressed the coaching staff, but Rudolph stood above the others. Again, I'm just sharing you what I've been told. I'm not mm-hmm. wasn't in the room. I'm just telling you what I was told. Really blew away the staff. And it was just a no-brainer for them that this is the guy that we think fits in the best here and can do the best job. So He's already coming in with a group of guys that 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 are going to have a level of respect here. And the other part of it too is knowing that he is someone that Coach Freeman respects is going to give him an automatic, you know, that he's someone that Coach Freeman knows and has a relationship with. There's going to be that as well. So that was step one. That's an important one because, as you said, a, an O line coach needs to be able to go to the running backs and be like, "Hey." This is what we saw. You got to do this. Yeah. But not all O line coaches can do that. And it requires them to command respect from the backs. It also re- requires that there be a strong relationship between the running backs coach and the offensive line coach. Yeah. Otherwise, you can get in some feelings there. So, to, so now that, that that passed, and now that this second step passed where the players are 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 completely on board from what I'm told. Now, and again, that meeting just, I mean, that meeting ended during our show, like the beginning of our show. And so uh, to get that feedback that they are completely on board, completely bought in, things went great. And then they're starting to, I mean, the things they're telling other people is they start throwing around the name he stan, Mm -hmm. continue name he stan, things like that. Uh, You know, that's a, that's an important thing. Can can you tell us, do you know what the composition of the players were? Was it strictly... The O line, or was it the offensive O line? Okay. Just O line. Okay. Yeah, and I don't even know if it was necessarily the entire room. Yeah, it was a it, I, that I don't know. Sometimes it'll just be you meet with the leaders. Yeah, the veterans. Sometimes you'll meet with the whole group. I don't know. Right. It was a it was a good chunk. I do know it was more than just like two dudes. It was a good chunk. I don't know if it was like the whole group or not. That I don't know. I'll try to okay. find out. Um, actually, let me ask that. Ask that now. Because I was I was thinking about that with the old the OC meetings. Right. Like, you know, was that just the full offensive staff, offensive players? Was it the full team? Mm-hmm. You know, that they had to stand in front of usually and it's I a position it, coach. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. I, I would think it wouldn't be uncomfortable for the running backs to be in there with the old linemen. You know, because like you said, mm-hmm. that's a relationship that was important to the running backs previously. And they probably would be interested in hearing what the offensive line coach candidate would have to say. So, right. yeah. Usually in instances like this, Sean, it's, it's just a position. So, and I'll let you know if I get any feedback on, uh, on who all was in there. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to kind of break off from what we were discussing to get that out there. I was hoping that we would get that feedback. I knew about when the meeting would end. I was hoping we would get some immediate feedback on how things went. And so that's obviously a plus to get that. So, so I, I do want to get back on track a little bit with this, Sean. 
and look at this. We we talked about the statistical st- the statistical impact of this. I think another thing that we we didn't talk about is he's going to have a better passing game than he he's had <laughs> around his line. That's fair to say. Entire that's, was, that's, time at Wisconsin, he's going to have certainly a better yeah. quarterback. So that helps yeah. as well. Because what I would like to see is the efficiency numbers outside of the three John the Taylor years weren't great yards per carry wise, right? And and so now part of that was he had a mobile quarterbacks who took sacks and I mean so there's a lot of factors but it wasn't like a knock your socks off type of yards per carry average. So, uh, do you think he grinds harder? Like if you're a coach and you walk in a room and you have immense athletic talents in the room, compared to you walking in a room and you 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 see there are some limit some limitations athletically as a coach. What does that do to you? Like he's been used to one room. Now he walks into this room. Is he like a kid in the candy store? Like, yo, I can't wait to get my hands on this because this is something I've never had the opportunity to work with. My hope is that he treats him the same. Here's what I mean by that. At Wisconsin, you've kind of got to be in a situation where, Sean, so my wife made me a smoothie for the show before the show. And it's got like raspberries in it. And and so the seeds from the raspberries sometimes get stuck in my throat. Yeah. So that's apologies on that one. To me, I think what sometimes happens that I think can be a mistake for coaches is when they they walk in and they've got these really talented players. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I got these real talented guys. Look at all the things that I can do. Yeah. Where I'm of the belief that I would rather you kind of come into the situation and be like, hey, at Wisconsin, I had to make sure we were really emphasize fundamentals and technique mm. and angles and toughness because I didn't have elite athletes. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the mistakes is when you do have the elite athletes and the elite players is that you go away from that. And what I would say is I'd say, focus on that, focus on footwork, hand play, technique, toughness, angles, because if you can focus on those things with elite players, absolutely. Then I think that raises their game to another level. And so I, I actually think that you double down on it. And I just got feedback. It was the entire offensive line. Okay. So he met with the entire offensive line group, which is different than what they used to do in the past, where just be like the veterans and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's that's huge. That's huge. So, um, and just to go right on what you said, I mean, that's most successful coaches would tell you that, you know, it's more difficult. Like you have to focus, it's so difficult to focus on the fundamentals yeah. or to get elite, talented players to focus right. and understand the importance of leveraging in this situation. I know your feet can get you to point B without doing the, right. everything right perfectly technically. Sounds. I don't need you. I don't need to rely on you being six, eight with super long arms or athletic. Absolutely. I'm going to teach you the proper footwork. And that was one of the things that I was first told when I was texting back and forth with the sources is that was the thing. It was that, that he stand foundation is a lot of what they heard from Rudolph, mm-hmm. which fits in with what things that we've you and I have heard you you and I talked the other night Sean is one of the things I was told by a couple people that I know that are yeah. or know him and or, or went through the process of this is the things that he focuses on it's not that he was saying what people wanted to hear and he was speaking he standish things they're just cut from a similar cloth in that regard yeah he stand did it because he's just an old school line coach that just believes in fundamentals toughness and physicality and angles Rudolph does it maybe he believes in those things I would assume he believes that because he played for Barry Alvarez, number one. But number two, he hasn't had the athletes to get away with that. I mean, he's needed those athletes to do that, right? Yeah. And so 
uh, and here, here's a, a, can I use the name Ryan? So, so Ryan just said that uh, Joe Tipman, who played at Wisconsin, right, was an offensive lineman for him, said he's the smartest person he's ever met, not even just football related, but just in general. And that kind of tracks with different things we've heard too. So, I mean, all, all the reviews are great. I mean, it sounds great, right? But the big thing for me is no matter what I think, no matter what you think, no matter what Marcus Freeman thinks, no matter what Jared Parker thinks or Dylan McCullough or Chancey Stuckey, at the end of the day, this interview that we just talked about with the players was the most important one. Yeah. Because if Marcus Freeman thinks this is the guy, but the players don't, it won't work to the especially degree. In this, especially in this situation. Yeah. Following Tell me because who is, Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, especially you in know. this situation. And that's a yeah. tough situation for anybody. I don't care if it was Matt Luke. It was going to be a tough situation to follow behind Harry Heastan. Like you go get the top five candidates or the top five guys you feel like are the best O-line coaches in the country. They were going to have an issue coming behind Harry Heastan because of what he established. So it's a tough position. I think, honestly, I think Jared Parker was in a tough position, was put in a tough position. But now the one thing that I like, we talked about the continuity and how the coaching staff likes him. So now you keep the same continuity with the offensive coaching staff that you had. You talk about the recruiting that he adds. You keep that same offensive, you know, recruiting going in the staff. And now you've changed the metrics a little bit because your tight end coach is now your offensive coordinator. Now you add the quarterback coach, which invests in the quarterback room. That's a lot of different dynamics. Things have been moved around. They might have settled differently than our expectations might have wanted or what we might have dreamed about. But ultimately, if they fit and they can get the job done, then A, it, it, it is what it is. It's almost like going to the tire shop and they're telling you, hey, <laughs> I got this 18-inch tire, good year, all terrain, or I got this other version from overseas that's the exact same thing can do the exact same thing, but it's $100 cheaper. Now, it's up to you whether or not you want to spend the extra money, but just because yeah, it doesn't have the big the name, name recognition. Right. Yeah, just because it doesn't have the name recognition, but it can produce the same thing, right. that's what that's the only thing that matters. Because our expectation is that this offense is to set, is set up to explode. Yeah. Our year, standard right? go, does not go down it does at all. not change. You know, nope. Uh-uh doesn't get lowered it's, a, it's their job to live up to it but absolutely i i really do sean i do think that it, it can't be it can't be underestimated how important it is that this that that meeting we talked about tonight went well like yeah. that group had to buy in and the fact that he met with the whole room i thought mm -hmm. matters to me because like so a lot of times you'll just meet with the veterans or the returning and then yeah. they'll go kind of tell everybody else i like the fact that he met with the entire offensive line that was well because done the reason why i think is too is because different kids are going to get hit differently with what he's saying and doing. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think that's important. That's very important. And, and there's some kids in the room that he recruited. I mean, he's going to walk in and know who Billy Shrouth is, mm -hmm. right. He's going to, he's going to know who that kid is. Cause he recruited that kid, right. There's going to be guys on the board that, that he recruited when he was at Wisconsin, that he's going to know there's going to be that relationship with some of them. And I, I, you know what, I'm actually not sure of that. Now that I'm a thing I'm going to have to ask or uh, look into this. I, I can't remember if, uh, because Shroud would have been what, 20, maybe he started recruiting him in twenty. No, he definitely 19, he 20. definitely recruited Shroud because Shroud was a part of that last class that that signed right after he left. Mm -hmm. 
And, and, and so he was part of that group. What I was curious about is if he was part, if he offered some of the, uh, the other guys that Notre Dame went after, like Joe Walt and Blake Fisher. I was curious about that one. Uh, Blake Fisher had an offer from Wisconsin Ooh. and Joe Alt did not enter. You know, it's here's, here's what I love about recruiting though, Sean, that part of the reason Notre Dame went for um, Joe Alt is because they Wisconsin beat them for Nolan Rucci. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I look at those things, Sean, and I, and there's going to be guys in the room that have offers from him. Billy Shrouth had an offer from Joe Rudolph. Uh, as we just said, Blake Fisher had an offer from Joe Rudolph. I'm going to go through the list, and there's some other guys in here that Rocco Spindler had an offer from Joe Rudolph. So there's going to definitely be guys on the board that had those offers. And uh, let's see here. Let's see if we can go to a couple of these other classes I just want to see. Obviously, we talked about Billy Shrouth. They didn't. Rec- they only offered four offensive linemen the previous. No, that can't be right. That can't be right. That has to be wrong. I'm gonna have to go look that up. They had to have offered more than that. That was the year he left, though. But moral of the story is Sean. They connected well with the players. I think that's a very important thing. Michael Carmody also was offered by Wisconsin. That's another one. So that's another another notch there. So anyway, Sean, focusing. Let's get back on track. So we did talk about uh, the statistical analysis. A couple of things I want to quickly go over with Joe Rudolph during his tenure. So 15, six, seven years, right? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, seven years uh, at Wisconsin as the offensive line coach. He produced six NFL offensive linemen for a school that has a lot of fifth-year players. You're not going to have a ton of turnover. And uh, obviously, uh, his first one was uh, Ryan. Is it, It's Ramchek, right? Isn't that how you yeah. say his last name? Ryan Ramchek. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't look anything like Ramchek. I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's the way it's spelled. It is what it is. He was a first-round pick in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Dieter and David Edwards were both picked in 19. Dieter was a third-round pick. Edwards was a fifth-round pick. 2020, uh, I, Tyler Bidatch, is that how you say that? How do you say his last name? Not even close. So, anybody know how to say his last name? Go ahead. No. You, I know you Ryan does, but you're back there. You're not talking. Jump in and say his name then if you want to – If you want to. If you want to say that, I, I just want to make sure the volume sounds all right, man. I don't know it how it's like. It is good, yeah. It is Tyler Biotish. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Because the joke was, you're right. There was always a joke about his name because it was pronounced that way. I remember that. You're right. Yes. Yes. So that guy yeah. whose name is pronounced not even close to how it's spelled, spelled <laughs> uh, was a fourth round. Thank you, Ryan. Was a fourth round pick of the 2020 NFL draft. 
Cole Van Lannen, got that one right, was a six-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. <laughs> and then Logan Bruss this past year was a third-round pick in the NFL draft. So he's produced that. Also has some All-Americans. Uh, Sean, I'm not even trying to pronounce this kid's name. We have to get Ryan back in here. So I'm looking at his All-Americans. Uh, oh, also, during his time tenure as the tight ends coach, Lance Kendricks was a second-round pick. Travis Beckham was a third-round pick. And Garrett Graham was a fourth-round pick. So he was the tight ends coach during that tenure as well when they turned those guys into NFL players. All-Americans. Uh, Tyler was a, a, a consensus All-American in 2019. Uh, uh, Bo, Ben Schwowl, uh, it's just whatever. I don't know. Close enough. He was a consensus all good. Right? You actually had that one pretty good, man. It's uh, Bo Ben Shawal. Ben Shawal. So he so was good. a consensus All American in 2018, but was not drafted. So again, turned a guy that was not draftable into a consensus all around All American pick. I don't know, Ryan, if you can explain why he wasn't a pick. Was there an injury or just great college player, just not a very good pro? Am I, am I allowed to just stay on here? You can if you want, man. Of course. Right, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm all settled in, man. Uh, of course. Well, what wasn't overly talented. Just wasn't overly yeah. talented. Just what was a consensus All-American during yes. his tenure? Did yes. he recruit? Did he coach Jake Ferguson too? Yeah. He Well, um, no, maybe not. Maybe not. No, not as tight. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator during Jake Ferguson's tenure, okay. but he didn't coach him. His mm -hmm. ten tenure as tight ends coach was from 8 to 11. Okay. He did. He did. He, he, did recruit, yeah. he did recruit um, Jacob Pedersen early in his tenure, though. Pedersen was a good tight end at Wisconsin, too. So, so, uh, uh, But Ben Shawal was a consensus All-American. Dieter was a first-team All-American by football writers in the Athletic. Uh, ben, Shawal, ben Shawal was also an All-American, uh, first-team All-American from Sports Illustrated in 2017. Cole Van Lannen was a second-team All-American in 2019. Uh, David Edwards is a first-team All-American from the uh, Football Coaches Association in 2017. He actually had three All-Americans in 2017. Ben, uh, ben Shawal was a first-teamer by uh, Sports Illustrated, third-team AP. Edwards was first-team by AFCA, second-team by the Writers Football Writers Association and Walter Camp, and then third-team on AP. And then Michael Dieter was second-team on Sporting News that year. Uh, Ramchak was a consensus All-American in 2016. And then Lance Kendricks was a first-team All-American by the Coach, Coach Association, Pro Football Weekly, Sports Illustrated, and Sporting News in 2020. And then he was second-team by a by Associated Press. So he produced a lot of All-Americans during his tenure at Wisconsin. And so including one year, we had three different guys earn some level of All-American status by somebody. So that's another thing as you look at to it to his uh, you know, to his resume and to his background, guys, is is that's part of his way. Well. Look, what forget whatever role you want to say a coach played in that, that's going to be a big part of the recruiting process too, is being able to say, hey, look, I had as actually, I think if you count, it's about as many All-Americans as Notre Dame had during that stretch, if not more. It's close. It's very close to the same number. And now Notre Dame's were a little bit more prolific, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Obviously NFL draft wise, but none of those guys were in the same universe as Quentin Nelson and Ronnie Stanley and Michael, Mike McGlinchey as talents. You know, and I mean, Alex Bars would have gone to Wisconsin and been their most talented offensive lineman the day he stepped foot on campus. And he was like third mm -hmm. on that Notre Dame team in 2017. Uh, so, you know, I think that's a factor in it as well. And part of that, you can say reputation, whatever, but that's something that's going to sell when we're talking to recruits, guys, is going to be that kind of thing is when you're able to uh, when you're able to go into a room, Ryan, and say, here's what I did at Wisconsin imagine what we can do together at Notre Dame. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, 
that's going to be impressive. Well, and I, I think it's interesting, Brian, the, the names that you talked about a little bit, a lot of them come from a lot of very, very different backgrounds. You know, like I think of even what Notre Dame has right now at offensive time. I mean, you have Blake Fisher, who was a, you know, consensus top 100 pl- type of player, right? And then Joe Waltz, the tight end converted to offensive tackle, who was a little, you know, a guy that needed to grow into his frame and all that great stuff. I mean, Ryan Ramchek was a, what, Division II football player at one point, right, before he made the transition to Wisconsin. You talk about David Edwards. David Edwards has turned into a really good starting offensive lineman for the Los Angeles Rams, just won a Super Bowl two years ago. And he was a guy that was a former tight end, turned offensive tackle, transitioned into guard at the next level as well. So you you have a lot of different types of football players that he's developed, you know, taking not only the guys that are – it's funny. He hasn't had as many of the, like the top name guys, you know, that, that are turned into studs. It's more of he found Brian O'Neill when he was a high school tight end, turned him into a good football player at Pittsburgh, developed into a really good starting offensive lineman. I, I think that that kind of speaks volumes to me as far as I think Joe Rudolph has really developed some offensive linemen from like the ground up, you know, if we're being honest, right? The guys that maybe weren't heavily recruited, maybe needed to add weight, maybe high school tight ends but really developed into really good football players during the course of their career. So he's, he's got a varying background, which I find really interesting. Ryan, doesn't that sync with what we've talked about and raved about with Harry Heastand not following the rankings and yep. having an eye to see guys that no one else can see that we can develop because this is my type of guy. He fits yes. what I want to do and want to have in this O-line room in Notre Dame. So hearing you say that, that, that's one of the things that also links to what we've heard is he has similar traits to a Harry Heastan. And hearing you say that, it really makes me feel good about him and having that eye from a recruiting standpoint when he's watching film to continue that trend. Well, well Sean, I, I would put it like this. I, I think it was either 2017 or the 2018 recruiting class. Logan Bruss was in that recruiting class for Wisconsin who developed into a very good player at Wisconsin third round draft pick was going to start for the Rams this year. Unfortunately, he had a preseason injury tore an ACL. He was the third ranked offensive line recruit in that recruiting class for Wisconsin, the third ranked guy. So, I mean, he, he finds guys, he does find guys. I think when you look historically, you look at, I mean, cause I, I did a lot of say a deep dive into the recruiting side of things and it even extends past just offensive linemen. I mean, I already mentioned he found David Edwards. He found Brian yeah. O'Neill kind of underrated guys. Logan Bruss was an underrated guy. He also was the primary recruiter for James Conner when he was coming out of the state of Pennsylvania at, at you know to go to Pittsburgh. So he was an athlete recruit. He wasn't even listed as a running back. So I, I do think that, if anything, because we've seen over the last few years of his time at Wisconsin, Joe Rudolph was pulling a lot more highly ranked kids, you know, the Jack Nelsons of the world, the Nolan Ruchies. I'm excited to see what Trey Wittig and and, and um, Jack Nelson do this year because they really started to come into their own this year. There was a couple of recruits under him. But, I mean, to your point, Sean, he has found a lot of diamonds, man. Like yeah. he has found some guys that don't have the traditional walk. They're, you know, under-recruited for whatever reason, whether it be weights, you know, level of competition, whatever it is, he's found those types of guys and – he has developed them, which is interesting. At different positions too, he's been a he's been a main or secondary recruiter, not just obviously as an offensive line coach, but during his pick career, he got James Conner. He was a, he was the primary for Rochelle Shell, who was a five star running back coming out. So he's had a lot of varying backgrounds as far as the recruiting side, and he has developed some under recruited guys into studs during his career. You know, at a at a place like Wisconsin, you have to take a risk, right? 
because I mean, because you're not going to be able to get the best of the best. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see if he takes the same amount of risk at Notre Dame when you can walk into the room of the top guys across the nation. It's going to be interesting to see how he builds his his room and his classes moving forward. But I'm excited based upon what we heard. I just want to go through this real quick. Logan Bruss was a three-star recruit in the consensus number 479 player. Michael Dieter was a three-star recruit in the number 1,257 overall player. These are the draft picks and All-Americans that he produced at Wisconsin. Uh, Tyler, I'm going to point to you, Ryan. It's going to be like the money ball scene, right? Yeah. Like when I point to you, you say it. Tyler Biotish. He was a three-star, the number 983 player in the a country. A defensive line recruit, too, Pal- yeah. Tyler Biotish. Yep. Yeah. Cole Van Lannon was a four-star recruit in the number 173 player in the country, so he was a highly ranked recruit. David Edwards was a three-star recruit in the number 644 player in the country. Ryan Ramchak was not ranked by anyone in any capacity. And then Ben Urbo. Ben Schwal. Ben he was a three-star recruit in the number 1,637 player in the country. He was a two-time All-American that wasn't even good enough to get drafted. So uh, that's what he built was. I mean, I, look, those things are, are are impressive to me, right? It's in in that's where we, where we said at the beginning. Look, whoever they hire is an upgrade over what they had before Harry Heastan got here significantly. Yeah. The question is, can he build on what Harry Heastan was building? That's my question, and and the concern that I had, you know, as as we kind of as as we as we as we talk about this, guys, is you know, can he can he take the Notre Dame line to the next level? and build on it the way that Harry would have in year two? That's a legitimate question. And my concern that I saw is like, some of his later lines at Wisconsin just weren't dominant. They, they weren't. They weren't the kind of just knock your socks off type of group. And when you didn't have a Jonathan Allen at running back, or excuse me, Jonathan uh, uh, Taylor at running back, you it just wasn't, it wasn't as impressive. Some of those things, like I'm watching film last night, and I'm breaking out 2019 film, and there's a play where a guy just completely beats the guard off the line. Jonathan Taylor makes a miss four yards behind the line of scrimmage once for 20 yards. Well, if you look at the analytics and the line yards, I believe that that counts as like you know good line yards. Where in reality, that guy, the running back, had to make all the yards happen, right? But then you go back and you rewind and you break it down. And you're like, this kid just can't move his feet. He just has slow feet. I mean, he's just he's not talented. And so you, you have, but you have to look at those things and say, okay. What were the issues? Was it he's just not a good, a great line coach? Is it he's not a great coordinator? Was it a play calling issue with with Paul Christ? But you have to be able to say, like, look, he had some really good lines at Wisconsin. And he had some lines that you're like, yeah, they should have probably been better than that. And then the talent level of the most recent lines just to me was a little inconsistent, right? You'd have a couple typical Wisconsin guys and a couple guys are like, this isn't your typical Wisconsin offensive lineman. Yeah. And those are some of the issues that I have. But the reality is that part right there won't be an issue at Notre Dame early on because he's got he's he's going to have this. He's going to have the dudes. He's walking into an already ready made room. You know, that 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 J- Jeff Quinn and Harry Heastan built from a player personnel standpoint. Now he's got to build on what Coach Heastan did. Guys, let's talk a little run game. First of all, Notre Dame's still going to run inside zone. They're going to still run duo. They're going to still run outside zone. They're going to still run counter. Mm-hmm. All, all those things, watching film last night. Now, Wisconsin doesn't run a ton of inside zone. They run some, but not a ton. They run duo, but not every game, like the way that Notre Dame does. Like I was watching 19 film, and I went through Michigan and uh, Iowa, and I didn't see duo run once that I remember. 
And then I get to the Nebraska game and I'm, they're running it a ton because that game, the matchup was there. And and a ton for normal teams, not a ton for Notre Dame because nobody runs duo more than Notre Dame, I don't think, in, in a single game. Uh, but, you know, you saw – you see a lot of, a lot of uh, pin and pull stuff, right? A lot of guard movement. Mm-hmm. And – you see a lot of draw. They run a ton of lead draw uh, under center from the gun. They run a lot of jet sweeps, which is surprising when you consider it's Wisconsin. But they have a their fly sweep series is like extensive because it's it's they will hand the ball off to that guy, and then they have a lot of run concepts that they run off of that, which I think is really creative. So I did I did like some of that. A lot of motions and shifts. They also run, you know what else they run a ton of that I didn't really realize until I dove in the film. They run a ton of mid zone, like a ton of mid zone. You don't see a lot of teams running a ton of mid zone. They don't really run stretch a lot. Like the and and this is where I wanted to get to. That's where I think Joe Rudolph is going to have the biggest schematic impact at Notre Dame. And this is where you start to see, like, okay, this reminds me of a dude that used to run the offensive line in 2017. Because the way that Harry Heastan got to the perimeter was not stretch. They ran stretch in 2018, but they didn't run it, or 17, they didn't run it a ton. And what, what Notre Dame did is they'd either run their G scheme, which is a gap pin and pull scheme to play to get an off tackle outside run that may, might bounce. But their primary outside run in 2017 was buck sweep, which is a pure pin and pull concept. Now, Notre Dame was a zone team under Harry Heastan. That's not debatable. But I think that one of the concerns that I've had with some, at times in Notre Dame is if you're an inside zone team, then that's just your inside zone outside. Like 2020, they were pretty good. They were inside outside zone and counter. That was basically it. That's all they ran. And it's just nobody they played that year was good enough to stop them. Even Bama, they ran on in the first half. There wasn't a lot more to their run game. You need a you need when we've been talking about this. You need more diversity. So the things that I see from from uh, from how you're gonna transition to what he does he's going to have a big adjustment doing more designing runs blocking schemes out of 11 personnel they don't run a ton of 11 personnel at wisconsin and a lot of times when they do they're running some sort of jet sweep or something like that to kind of freeze people you're not going to be doing that as much at notre dame so that's going to be something where the edges are going to be tighter in some instances at at notre dame than they were at wisconsin that's something to consider but one thing that i like guys is i like outside zone but outside zone cannot be your – and you, Ryan, you and I talked about this almost every week last year. You've got to have ways to quickly get to the perimeter, and it can't just be jet sweeps. And you're seeing him do a lot of pin and pull stuff, and it's not – and they do it a couple different ways. They'll run some – I don't. I wouldn't know if I'd call it buck sweep per se, like the way Notre Dame did it, but it's a ver- the same exact blocking scheme. But it's almost like a – I mean, it's like a double G wrap. It looks like counter, but it's not. It's similar blocking scheme to power, but it's not hitting power. You know, where you have a kick and a wrap, but it's it's hitting out wider. And I think those are different ways. They did a really nice job of creating uh, wrap and uh, pull and kicks, or I should say kicks and wraps on their guard movement stuff where, you know, the play side guard kicks, the backside guard would wrap or the play side guard would log if that guy comes down narrow. And they would hit those plays with a really fast swipe and get outside of those. And and I think that's something that you could see be a new wrinkle to Notre Dame because I do know that the Notre Dame coaches, this new staff has been looking for ways to how can we better get to the perimeter with our run game? We can't just be a tackle-to-tackle run team all game. 
Mm-hmm. Not if we want to do it that's every week and not if we if we want to be able to beat Georgia that way. Not if we want to beat Bama that way. Not if we want to beat Ohio State that way. And so, you know, the Clemson game was, let's be honest, is a bit of an anomaly. You don't often do that against that kind of defense. If they would have played again the next week and Notre Dame tried the same game plan, I don't know if it would have worked as well. That's why you can't just assume, hey, we're going to beat every team we play passing for 85 yards and rushing for 268 or whatever. So I do think that's that's a wrinkle. Of all the things that they do, I think that right there is something that I could easily see being an area where he, he has the biggest influence on what Notre Dame is going to do scheme-wise. Because a lot of stuff they do, he is already doing. It's just the volume might be greater at Notre Dame. But finding a way to incorporate some of that pin and pull stuff, not as a base thing, but the, as you broke down the film, and this will be what I do in the break, the film breakdown that I'm going to have up over the next couple of days, is I'll go through some of this stuff and see how it fits in their name. You can't do it the exact same way that he did it at Wisconsin because it'll be you're not going to be 12 and 20, like traditional 21 person all the time. But there's a lot of things I think he could do, guys, with that pin and pull stuff that's going to lot, look a lot like what Coach Heastan did with that buck sweep in 2017. And I think that's a wrinkle you could see, whereas at, at Wisconsin it was a staple. At Notre Dame, I think it could be a wrinkle. And so I, that's something I think we could see his big impact in the run game, Sean. I think that's definitely something we could see. No, we talked about it, just the history of Wisconsin. It's quite interesting because you talk about going back to when Barry Alvarez showed up. It was funny because I remember vividly no, they didn't run a lot of uh, stretch zone, but one of the players they ran stretch zone with was uh, probably the biggest running back they've had in Wisconsin. Ron Dane ran stretch zone a lot. You go watch that Rose Bowl against UCLA. Good gracious. They just ran stretch zone, buck sweep. They pulled guards. They pulled. It was almost like they had extra pockets on the offensive line and just kept pulling and pulling and pulling for offensive linemen to block UCLA defenders. And you talk about Paul Chris. This is my thing, because I, I know you pointed to the lack of aggression and physical play late in his tenure along the offensive line. I think they made the mistake to go away from traditional Wisconsin football, and they bought into the hype of Graham Mertz. That's what I feel like. From an offensive standpoint, him and Paul Chris, and, and they, they bought into it, during the COVID year, that's the crazy thing about it. They didn't buy into it in a full year where they really got to see him against top-notch com- competition. Like you said, Michigan was frazzled that year. You really didn't know what you had. And they come back in 21, and they think Graham Hurts is a guy. right? He comes out against Illinois his first game, throws five touchdowns, and they think, oh, this is the guy that's going to take us from having to depend on our running game He's going to elevate us and take our passing game to the next level. Sean, I was going to say, you saw the, the best of Graham Mertz that day, sir. Against your that's, that's, line that's, that's all he had. There was no more juice to squeeze out of him. When you're talking about being the best, you saw it when they faced Notre Dame at, at Soldier Field. That entire game, the Notre Dame defensive line just wrecked and just penetration, just wrecked everything they were trying to do in the run game and stifled them. I think Allen – they had one drive where they came out and they really established the run. And Graham Mertz had that touchdown pass. And other than that, they couldn't do anything. So I think they made the choice to kind of step away from traditionally what has been successful for them. And in making that choice, it harmed the run game. I, I totally agree with that. So 
I would point to that being more philosophical than really, man, the offensive. But you pointed out just watching the film, you can't hide bad feet. Like if the guys, if they have bad feet and they're not good athletes, the film is going to tell you that to show you that. So I'm interested. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. I do think Wisconsin, in my opinion, from just watching them throughout the years of the Big Ten, they've adjusted. They've always been able to run the ball, and they've had different types of running backs, right? We went through the – one year is Monty Ball lighting, lighting college football up, the diminutive one. Then, then you go get a big guy like Ron Dane. Then you go don't get forget, a speed. Don't forget about P.J. Hill, man. Don't forget P. about P.J. Hill. Then you get a speedster like Melvin Gordon. Like they've had Jonathan Taylor, just different types, and they've had to switch – to the different style of running games that benefits those running those running backs or the pair of running backs they've had. So I think in that experience, I do think some new wrinkles can be added to the Notre Dame run game. That is already pretty good with what they do, but all three of us would agree that if we saw a duo 50% less, we would be extremely happy. Yeah. If Notre Dame was still being successful in the running game without and, going and, to and that. Keeping in mind that 50% of duo still is a lot of duo. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Ryan, your thoughts on, on some of that pin and pull stuff being able to be yeah. added as a wrinkle is more so when it comes to the outside, getting the ball to the perimeter with this, the, this football team. Well, I, I think, I think Wisconsin for a long time got a unfair rap to be honest, because I think when, when people talked about Wisconsin football, they just thought, Power O, Power O, Power O. And I'm just like, that's not all they run, man. It's not. They don't, I mean, ton, they don't really run a ton of that, to be completely honest. Especially not they anymore. Really yeah. But even when they had their best lines, Brian, the one thing I loved about it, because you had this false assumption that a Wisconsin offensive line is just this big, mauling dude. That's what mm-hmm. he is. They've had some athletes on the offensive line now, man. They've had some guys. And the great thing I love about how they – work their movement stuff is it's not even just G scheme, right? It's not even just guards getting out in space. They pull tackles at, at times, you know, they'll have a tight end blocked down and a tackle work to the outside, to the perimeter. They have, when they've had the right centers, when they put Travis Frederick back in the day, when they had Tyler Biotis, who was a little more athletic, they would pull them out to the second level and let them work out in space a ton. So I think that Wisconsin, when it's been at its best, has the ability to pull all over the line. It's not even just the guards pulling. It's the tackles can tackles. have create movement. The centers yes. can create movement. And mm-hmm. that makes them hard to predict. That's yeah. the biggest thing. And that's the end-all, be-all, is if it's just a wrinkle. It doesn't have to be a substantial part of the offense. As a defensive player, the more you do, the more I have to think. And when defenders think too much, they make mistakes and they're in bad positions. So if it's a wrinkle, I'm all for it, especially if – because Notre Dame has a lot of offense, a, a lot of athleticism on this offensive line. If Andrew Kristoffing is one of the starting guards and you have him and Billy Schropp, let's say, for instance, then pull it in a G scheme, it's fantastic, man. Both those dudes can move. I think Zeke Carell can move a little bit. Both the tackles are super athletic. There should be no limitation for the movement that you can create with this offensive line because you have athletes all over the board, in my opinion. And what does that do for players? Like Brian, both of you guys, man. You guys played the game more than me. You've coached the game. Like as a player, you stimulate my brain, man. When I can do when I'm constantly doing the same thing over and over and over again as an offensive lineman, or as opposed to I'm going into a game knowing that I have five to six concepts that we're gonna go to during the game. Like, yo, I'm ready. I'm focused. I can't wait to get to the third quarter because I know we're setting you up. Yeah. For this right here. 
Like, okay. so now I'm eager to make sure that we do what we need to do in the first yeah. two quarters, focus, execute, because I know what we have waiting for you in the third quarter when we get you in deep waters. And you have those different – it makes the game fun. It has to make the game more fun for your players when you add those wrinkles. Has to. Sean, for me, I don't think you can major in three different philosophies running the football. I don't think you can major in three of them. I don't. I think you can major in two at the most, mm-hmm. really one, and then the others your minors in. And it that refers to your volume. Because if you're going to run something as your primary thing, you've got to be able to, to teach it a ton. Right. right? And so – the reason I think duo and inside zone are concepts that you can major in both is because in a lot of ways, structurally, they complement each other. You know, so you're going to line up the same way and run inside zone to one side and duo to the other side, the same look, whereas duo being more uh, of a, a tight end call side, right? Whereas inside zone is you're running away from the tight end more. Mm-hmm. So you can check too, depending on what you're what you're what you're looking at. It, it can look similar to the defense if you're running both. And we've talked about this, Ryan. You and I talked about this a million times, Sean. I think you and I talked about this personally, but not maybe on shows. But whenever Notre Dame's run game was at its best, they were complementing inside zone and duo, and they did. They never did a better job of that than they did in the bowl game. I mean, their mixture between duo and – I mean, inside zone is where they hit a lot of their big runs. Chris Tyree, first big run he had was on inside zone. Logan Diggs' long touchdown run, not the catch, but the touchdown run was on inside zone, split zone. And and it made duo so much more effective. And you have to be able to major in those two things. And, and, and to me, you can't just major in duo in college, in my opinion, because you don't have as much of a complementary pass game as most NFL teams that run duo a ton have. In, in Notre Dame, I think you need to be able to do both of those things, in my view. And and but you need to be able to minor in in some other things. And I think so the 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 gap pin and pull stuff, my concern is if he's gonna try to come in and just implement a mess of pin and pull stuff, that's not gonna work. Because you have to change your whole philosophy. Mm-hmm. Now it does it's not gonna work right away. You can eventually get to it because as Ryan said, you've got the athletes to do it, but now you're changing your offensive philosophy. And I don't think they need to do that because they also have the side. You just recruited a class of five maulers. Yeah. You didn't you don't go to a pin and pull team in, in that regard. Cause I think that's what hurt Wisconsin against some of the better defenses is because they were doing so much pin and pull, they were just getting beat to spots yeah. constantly because they're just not athletic enough. Now Notre Dame's a little bit more athletic, but you got to be able to do some different things. And I really like pin and pull more so as a as a wrinkle, meaning you're gonna have a couple pin and pull, you know, it's, it's gap scheme, right? We use pin and pull because people relate to it, but it's gap scheme. You're going to have a couple gap scheme wrinkles. And I particularly, Ryan, and I think you alluded to this. I think where the gap schemes can be really effective for Notre Dame is not so much on counter stuff and inside zone stuff, power O, but it's the outside stuff, right? Because as you mentioned, they bounce a lot of gap scheme runs outside, Ryan, a ton. And, And to your point, People think they're just hitting the A-gaps all day and creasing them for 60-yard games. No, a lot of their big gains are gap scheme. Because the, the thing about some of their gap scheme stuff is it starts off downhill and then just bounces. And it'll get outside. So uh, those are things that you look at. And and um, I, I, I think those are things that, that uh, I think he can bring he can bring to to the table and, and as wrinkles. And and that's my thing is if he brings this as a wrinkle, then I feel better. And honestly, studying the film guys made me feel a little bit better about the fit because I did see so much 
I did see Zone. I did see Duo, which I knew they're going to run Duo, but I did see Zone. You know, I, I did see jet sweeps, which I you know I knew they did that to a degree. I didn't realize how much they majored in that, the fly mm-hmm. sweep stuff, and then the inside runs off of that. And so I really I really like the different aspects of what they bring to the table, run game wise. And it and it, it, he can't bring that to Notre Dame, but he can bring some wrinkles to it. I think the and the two for me are the jet sweep stuff and the the perimeter gap stuff you know, like a buck sweep or something like that. So I, I think those can work really well. That's what, that's what I hope that they, they bring to the table. Last couple things, guys, is before we get to rapid fire, I just want to kind of get your guys' overall thoughts on this hire. I'll just quickly say mine. I've expressed my concerns about, about Joe Rudolph. I have the inconsistency that we saw from the lines in recent years. We can, we can explain it away in a lot of ways, Sean. And I think what you had mentioned, Sean, is very valid. You know, because, you know, that's why they went to Graham Mertz over Jack Cohn, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they wanted to do things a little different way, and I don't think they it, it worked. But it doesn't change the fact that the offensive lines just weren't dominant his last few years. They put up great numbers in 2021, but they got whooped every time they played a good defense. Like Notre Dame. Notre Dame dominated their run game. Yeah. Dominated it. So those are concerns. Love the recruiting. That's always been the case. I'm a lot more comfortable and confident in the hire today than I was four or five days ago because a, the film made me feel more at ease about the transition and B some people that I really know and respect yeah, were able to have some, some really good one-on-one conversations with me where I could pick their brain and re- and give them my concerns and then see what their responses are yeah. and have some of the concerns I had alleviated. And so am I, am I Harry 2.0? Not there yet, but I'm a lot more optimistic right now than I was four or five days ago. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Were there guys I liked better? Yeah, sure. But the point is, there's a lot more that I like now than I liked four or five days ago. So I'm a lot more yeah. optimistic about it now. Sean, what is your thoughts on this hire overall? Well, I'm still, I'm still where I am. Everything has to be proven to me. So I really, I'm really giving a blank sheet to Jared Parker and to Coach Rudolph, like. I've heard great things from people around me that know and have relationships with both of them speaking to you and hearing you and Ryan talk about the hires for me. I'm just ready to see it because they both sound like fits per se, but now the expectation is the expectation for the offense in 23. Like regardless of who the coaches were, we expect this offense to be more explosive and to produce more than the previous two seasons. And as long as they produce, I don't think any, anyone would care about who the hires were in the middle of November if this offense is doing what we fully expect it to do. Yeah. Sean, that's going to do it for this part of the show. We're going to have a rapid fire next, but before we get to rapid fire, folks, please do us a favor. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. And make sure that you are signed up to the CFB Nation podcast app because that's where you can find that guy's daily show, the Lucky Lefty podcast, which he does every day with former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire, a.k.a. Lucky Lefty. <laughs> and so, uh, you obviously, you guys had a little birthday show for Malik. Was that today or yesterday that you guys had the birthday show for Malik? Was that today? That was earlier today, yeah. Okay. And, and obviously, Malik shared his thoughts on Joe Rudolph. Uh, he has met him, was recruited by him twice. So if you haven't listened to that, 
Sean, did you upload that to uh, the podcast app? So you can find that it at CFP live. Nation uh, podcast app. You can and, and you can also get it from Irish Breakdown, but uh, you'll definitely want to get that from the CFP Nation app because there you only get the CFP Nation shows, which allow you to find Sean's stuff a lot easier than trying to have to sift through all the stuff we have at Irish Breakdown as well. So that's why you need to subscribe to that uh, also. And so uh, definitely things that you want to check out and, and give a listen to. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.